listening to KBOO Portland. KBOO turns 55 this year. We're planning a birthday block party to celebrate 55 years of broadcasting community radio. On Saturday, September 23rd, from noon until 10 p.m., KBOO will transform a block near its studios into a festival area. Activities will include live music, station tours, food, beverages, vendors, and fun. This event is family-friendly and free to the public. From 1 until 2 p.m., KBOO will hold its annual meeting and elections for the Board of Directors. All are welcome to participate as KBOO discusses the accomplishments of 2023 and looks ahead to 2024. Join KBOO and celebrate. Saturday, September 23rd, noon until 10 p.m. on Southeast 8th Avenue between Ankeny and Ash. Family friendly and free to the public. For more information, visit www.kboo.fm slash birthday 55. We hope to see you on September 23rd. There's something missing and I'm lit and I got something to say. Good evening. You're listening to Transpositive here on KBOO Community Radio. Today uh, we have Sheila and Emma, and we're going to be talking about current events and what's going on right now in the news in the transgender community. But why don't we start by first doing introductions? Uh, would you like to start, Sheila? Oh well, um, it's going to be just the two of us tonight, so we can kind of do our usual discursive. Um, state of the art of how we're doing in our lives and what some of the issues are that we're continuing to face in the world scene. Oh, well, my name is Sheila. I'm a writer and I have done a, a lot of thinking and living of the transgender experience. And so I kind of try to bring in a historical sense of kind of where we have been, uh, what type of experiences we ran into customarily in the early days and where we are at now and how radically different those, uh, those worlds, those life worlds are. Thank you. And my name is Emma. I use she and her pronouns. I'm a co-host here on Transpositive. Um, I've been helping to produce this program for going on almost 10 years now. And um, we cover a variety of issues that are of concern to the transgender community, and we also try to cover arts and culture events that are happening here in the Portland area. Uh, we have some other members of our collective, including Nicolette, Jean, Gigi, Lori, and a few other people who show up from time to time, Carter. And uh, I'm just really honored tonight to be here with Sheila, who is... Um, you just have so much to offer, Sheila, to help enlighten us about the transgender experience. So how are you doing, Sheila? Well, I'm doing good tonight. It was a beautiful sunset out here on the coast. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm, I had a terrible allergy cough, and I'm going to try to mute as many coughs as I can out of here. <clears throat> but anyway, I've been, um, whatever I'm allergic to has been terrible lately. So, But I, everyone else out here is seeing this pretty much the same situation so I know it's not just a, an epitrans phenomenon and um, been thinking a lot about cultural issues lately and how uh, transgender interfaces with culture and how we interface with our body image and what that means as you, the body as a transit vehicle for communication with other people especially at the cultural level cool and I'm doing pretty good. I've been um, traveling, so I'm actually recording the show remotely this week. 
Um, I am sitting in a yurt in Taos, New Mexico, and the pitch black, and there's coyotes outside howling, and there's a very friendly cat who has been hanging out with me and my partner, um, and we're just an amazing yurt, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, um, on the outskirts of Taos. And um, it's really amazing that I can even do this, but I've been thinking a lot about how it is for transgender people as they travel, because I've been out of my familiar places while I've been traveling. Um, and I've been in some spots where it's very clear that trans people are not welcome. Um, even here in New Mexico, there's been a lot of places I've been where it's been really clear that transgender people aren't welcome here. And um, it's just, it's kind of interesting, like stepping outside of the Portland bubble and into another part of America and kind of seeing how, I mean, we think we've gone so far and we have in a really small way, but for most of the country, we really haven't gone that far yet. And I can just, I can feel it when I go to use the bathroom and when I go to eat and when I'm traveling. I mean, I'm much more guarded than I'm used to. And I'm much more aware of my body and how am I being read and am I safe? And that's something that all trans people have to do, especially in states that are really not welcoming of transgender people. So anyways, um, so that's how I'm doing. Um, so let's step into, let's talk about the news for a while, Sheila. Um, I have several stories tonight I'd love to share. And maybe we could talk about some of them and some of our thoughts. How does that sound? For those who aren't familiar with it, The Blade is a Southern California LGBTQ newspaper. And um, this week, The Blade reported that a school board ordered an LGBTQ plus mural removed from a health clinic. And it's about a clinic in Michigan. And it basically says that there was a battle over an LGBTQ affirming mural that was painted on the wall at the Child and Adolescent Center. They show a picture of the mural, and the mural um, shows uh, mostly kids and different um, kind of anime characters. A lot of them are anime characters. It's actually kind of, I have to say, it's a little bit hard for me to tell that the mural is specifically LGBTQ. Um, the things that really get to me are that there's one kid who's wearing uh, a t-shirt that has trans colors on it. And there's another kid who's got on rainbow colored leggings. And I have to be honest, that's the only thing that really makes it clear to me that this is LGBTQ. Um, but anyways, here's the, the story says that the battle over LGBTQ affirming identities um, basically climaxed at a grant public school board education vote. And the school board was voting to renew the healthcare provider's contract with the stipulation that this mural is removed. And if you look at the mural, it's, I don't know if you've seen this mural, Sheila, but it's, it's really adorable. It's just this really adorable mural. It's basically a bunch of kids who sort of look like anime characters. And then there's like some animals in there too. And it shows the nurse, it shows like rabbits as nurses. And there's like in the middle, there's a bubble and it says stay healthy. It's very, it's very strange that they think this is, this is so threatening. The superintendent said that the mural must be removed. It was painted by a student who won an art contest at the end of October. Um, in a statement Monday, the family health care spokesperson said that the mural highlights values of diversity and inclusion, which are values that are important to the school and to the health clinic. And they say in quote, while it is disappointing that the mural must be removed, it's a compromise we reluctantly were willing to accept to ensure that the children of the grant community continue to have access to medical and behavioral health care. Well, here's some thoughts. Um, when I talk about culture, what I'm thinking about is, and I, I'm trying to find a good image for this, um, when we begin our transition, a lot depends upon our outer circumstances, uh, whether we have support, 
what age we are, how naturally congruent our bodies are to a transition life state. There's so many factors in place. There's, there's no way to really talk about a one-size-fits-all for transgender life and what people should do. And that means that we have to have a tremendous sensitivity for the particular ways that gender dysphoria manifests in different people. It's not always the same. Sometimes it's, it's something that skirts very close to just simple androgyny. Sometimes it's a much more imperative desire to manifest a certain sexual identity. Sometimes it has very little to do with sex and has everything to do with just how we feel that we should be treated in a um, social environment. Um, but because there's so many factors in play and the other, what I'd call the oppositional side never really goes into those questions because the entire subjectivity is completely off the board as far as they're concerned, because the simple category of trans is by its very nature as ruled out as either an, a delusion or an ideology at the personal level, it's a delusion. And so the idea is counsel someone to a point where they can graft themselves back into a sense of solidarity with their assigned sex at birth. And the ideology component says this has nothing to do with the individual transgender person. We don't oppose them. We oppose the ideology that is causing trans to suddenly become a normative category along with male and female where we thought we were living in a binary world. Now we have a binary world still, but we have people transitioning between the two poles on the spectrum. And when it, we're treated as an ideology, we tend to be dehumanized because they're not listening to our stories and they're not listening to what's individually happening within us or just how viable it is to uh, to adapt to our, our feelings to the to the circumstances that we're placed in, um, and it also implies that we have power that we do not have. We don't have the power that they assume that we have, and we are not telling other people how to behave. We're simply making a decision of how we behave, and then asking for some degree of acceptance so that we can function in the world which seems like a fairly minimal demand, but if it's seen as an ideology, completely changes everything. Suddenly, the transgender people are the aggressors, and they're trying to push an idea and behaviors onto other people who are not trans and raise states of ambiguity where everything has been presumed to be absolutely certain. That's why I always try to come back to a clinical model because at least at the clinical level of dealing with a therapist or some support system in the medical community, there's some basic recognition of the reality of gender dysphoria and some effort to treat us with some therapeutic and beneficial intent, no matter which direction we go, because it's, it's pretty tough to do it all by ourselves. Well, I mean, do, do you think that, do you think that they made, I, I mean, they were forced into a terrible compromise, but it's like, the, in the first place, the mural wasn't even, there wasn't anything in the mural that seemed like it was worthy of removal. So why is there all of this furor over a mural that, I, I mean, I have to admit that if I saw it at the school, I, I wouldn't even know that it had anything to do with LGBTQ issues, except maybe that there's a kid wearing rainbow leggings. I mean, there's just nothing that's obvious about it that says it's it has any kind of a queer theme. I mean, when when school boards are getting this verplectic about things, you know, it, I, I mean, what's going on in our country? Hi there, this is Emma Lugo. Um, I'm the president of KBOO Community Radio, um, president of the board. And I'm just here today. Um, I'm also a co-host of Transpositive. And I want to encourage you to give. It's um, our fall fundraising drive. And our on-air goal is $55,000. 
Um, if you'd like to give, you can go to kboo.fm slash give, or you can also go to our mobile app and click donate in the mobile app. Um, we also accept, uh, you can also give by going to text and text KBOO to 44321. And finally, we take good old-fashioned checks. You can send a check to KBOO at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, uh, Southeast Portland, Oregon, 97214. So thanks so much for your support of KBOO Community Radio. Well, what I see going on is that once they adopt the, the model that this is an ideology and a harmful and alien one at that, they put themselves in the position of saying, we're not just protecting non-trans people, we're actually protecting trans people from themselves. And so what happens is that it isn't the content of the mural that's being questioned, it's the mere existence of the mural. Because the, uh, this is where I would kind of argue back to the people that are taking such an oppositional stance is to say, if you really want, since, since the issue has finally reached a level of social ferment and boiling point that suddenly it seems everywhere and everyone's concerned about it and it's not going to go back into the closet, then perhaps we need to discuss a lot of issues about gender and how we how we treat people with different bodies and different ages. In other words, that's where, if they're going to take it to the ideological level, I'd say, okay, well, if we're going to be ideological, let's really go for ideology here and let's ask ourselves how we treat women differently in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, and their 70s. And that's just dealing with half the transgender spectrum. But it usually seems to focus on the identified at birth male to female direction because what also comes into play is this desire to protect. And you'll even hear it in the language. They'll say, we don't want men in girls' bathrooms. And they're talking at the high school level. So, so what it implies is that if you're in high school level and you're a female, then you're a girl. If you're in high school and you're a male person, then you're a man. And that just seems so absurd to me. Uh, but it implies that we, we infantilize women, whether they're transgender or cisgender, because we presume that they can't protect themselves or look out for themselves. Um, and that implies that the trans person is an aggressor. There's someone trying to vault over um, some barrier into some sacred reserved ground where, uh, like an old medieval city that had a wall around it, somehow or other at the center is this vulnerable population of unprotected females. And the problem that I have with that is it's demeaning to women to say that women can't defend themselves, at least verbally. I'm not saying that everybody has to, that it should always come down to relative force. But I just notice how often it's put in exactly that kind of terminology. So the problem with ideology is that this is bigger than this. It's, it's how we treat women in general. And I'm becoming more aware of this all the time in how we use women as decorative, this has been brought up in classic feminism for years, is using women as decorative appurtenances to some social message in which the, the individual woman does not emerge. Instead, she's a representative of not even all women. She's a representative of this particular type of woman, and that particular type of woman is usually young and of childbearing age, and very attractive, and we we use that as the norm for womanhood, and then anything that exists along the periphery gradually fades into the invisible spectrum, where suddenly we say, these are the women that we don't see, and this is the tragedy of, of um, and I think the transition experience and encountering that social opprobrium that's, that's allocated to women and we suddenly say, oh, my God, that's what it actually feels like. We thought it 
that looked so beautiful on the other side, I'd feel so relieved if I could be accepted as female. And suddenly you're accepted as female and you say, but this is terrible. I didn't realize that this is the way it would actually be. And so I think that there's a, a lot that helps to have cisgender females and trans females speaking to each other and learning from each other's experiences for the lack of health that we have in our entire society towards women. That's a great point. Well, so the other um, the other things that happened with this uh, meeting, uh, during the school board meeting last year, anger spilled over into heated arguments with some in the audience saying that the transgender flag and a video game character in the mural, as well as other symbols in the mural, were satanic. Um. So I guess that's what they think about us. Quite I honestly, know. if somebody came up to me and said I was satanic, I'd I'd probably hold up my little finger like at the movie and I'd go, red rum, red rum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay. other things that happened in the news this week for the transgender community. Um, in the San Francisco Chronicle, it was reported on September 15th that an anti-trans group advertising themselves as feminists uh, is descending on San Francisco for the annual convention. Uh, San Francisco will host trans-denying activists for a convention, and they are a feminist organization, at least they call themselves feminists. And this is, um, oh shoot, the paywall just came up. Well, let's just talk about the general topic. Let me see if I can find any place else where the story exists. But have you heard about that, Sheila? Not that specifically, but <clears throat> excuse me. Ever since, um, ever since I think it was the was it the Michigan a festival or something where there was a real question of you know women born women versus trans women. You know, we whenever there's a gathering the question of inclusion always comes up. And one of the things that I found helpful of kind of seeing an interface with the drag community in my early days when I was just coming out was that there was already a, a pre-existing subculture that had its own norms where you could feel at least an honored guest, even though if you weren't necessarily a drag queen, you had a sense that here was some people that were doing a little of what you were doing and would be perceived the same on the street. So that was the other thing is that people didn't write, you know, reach very careful decisions. I've been used uh, the, the, the um, F word, not, not the usual F word, but the act at, you know, the gay F word um, was people would yell that at me and I would say, well, I'm not acting out sexually here. This is this is just me walking down the street. You know, nothing about my sexual preference whatsoever. But that's what I mean, that the umbrella was big enough that we didn't parse it into little pieces. Is that, and that's why to this day, I still say that the LGBT union is so, and beyond, is so essential because the minute they start whittling off little fragments of us, then automatically it's so easy to attack or and or to provisionally accept whatever's left. And I don't know which is worse, to be provisionally accepted as long as you follow certain rules automatically means, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're, you're saying, okay, I may be okay, but you look to a, another sister and she say, but she's not okay. And the, the biggest question is why is sex so culturally weighted? Whether not in and in all societies around the world, it's like you can see it in folk dancing, you can see it in ballet, you can see it in various art forms, and so it's very hard for a trans person to merge into culturally claimed space with hundreds of years of differentiation that gradually elaborated. And the minute you step out of a binary and say, "I'm going to drop parts of this and assume other parts." And you kind of custom design your own salad kind of a thing. The the world kind of says no 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 no. You have either this salad or you have this salad. If you have this salad, you put this dressing on it, and that's just the way it is. 
So that's our problem. This makes transition almost impossible sometimes because we're trying to say, but that's not our experience. They say, well, that's the whole problem. You don't get to have individual experience in this world. You have to adapt to whatever is dished out on your plate, and that's how we make life work, and that's how we make culture work. And your task is to become acculturated. Get over your problem. And and so and above all, don't try to have us share your problem. And that's their attitude. And they don't think that's uncharitable to do that. They just think that's they think ultimately they're doing us a favor because our life will go easier if we can adapt. But the problem is if we could adapt, we wouldn't be even dealing with the personal issue of being transgender. That's why I circle all the way back to clinical aspects of it, that we are different, but that somehow there has to be space for our difference without making our lives miserable. That has always been the position I've taken. So in the story, um, there's actually lots and lots of stories online about this. Um, so it's hard to pick and choose. I mean, it, it actually reveals a lot about the kind of bias that different corporate media outlets have, depending on how they spin the story. So the Daily Mail said that trans activists shout F bleep bleep K and clash with feminists. Um, at a conference at the San Francisco Hilton, and there's physical assaults and spray painting. So the day, and then the Daily Mail shows pictures, and they're trying to show pictures. I think that are stereotypically like meant to be. I don't know how to say it. Like reinforcing of how they think that probably conservatives and people sort of in the middle of the of the culture values like see transgender people so they show someone um, a person who's got a uh, long brown hair and a beard and has on something that kind of looks like a bra I'm not really sure and then a pink thing over genitals and then they show another person standing in front of the protest holding a sign that says millions of dead turfs. And so it's really clear by this selection of photographs that they've taken because it looks like there's actually lots and lots of different kinds of transgender people in the in the protest. But from the pictures that the corporate news has really chosen to highlight, they've chosen to highlight pictures that basically fit into the way that they read transgender people and the way that they read our cultural narrative which is that you know trans women are really just men and here's a really great example of it and then the, the other one is you know transgender people are extreme and they're trying to say that by showing somebody who's holding a sign saying millions of dead turfs you know and it's like by, by, by showing that those two pictures they're basically saying uh, trans women are men and transgender people are extremely violent and hateful and that seems to be like the message that the Daily Mail um, is trying to put out uh, there's other sources that are reporting on this that provide a much more balanced view and really kind of get the messaging out there are a couple of places where the Daily Mail actually bothered to um, have a little bit of balance, but they buried it way down at the bottom of the story. So uh, one of the posts, they follow Brett Smith online, and they say, um, here's Trantifa in all its glory. How dare women congregate to talk about our sex-based rights and, then, and exclude such stunning and brave ladies. And, you know, that's a pretty respectful comment to include in the thread because it kind of shows that you know there's people who what what i mean what they're what that comment said was it said oh that transgender people should be included in a conference about women which is kind of what you were saying earlier see this is <clears throat> this brings up the whole question of of how do um i guess the best way to do this is be real personal it's like when i was coming coming out, I was astonished as a somewhat sheltered person that my first forays of being out in the world in a transgender mode were, was met with in not only intense opposition, but sometimes violence. 
and I could not believe what I was seeing. I didn't think the social order of how you treat another person, especially someone who had reached the age of being an adult, suddenly you were fair game. I mean, any little nasty thing could happen to you, and, and people would just look the other way as though it wasn't going on in front of their face. And I thought, between at the social level, between the upset of having a trans person present versus someone being attacked physically for being trans and having people pretend it wasn't happening is astonishing. And I couldn't get around that. So <clears throat> I said, well, how am I even going to get the energy up, the lifting velocity to get off the planet Earth to walk out of a car I think a lot of trans people in early transition feel that. It's like, how do I even do this without without just wanting to just go home and hide in, hide in, in my head under a pillow? Um, and so the answer to me was to say, okay, if I'm out, I'm going to be out. So that's why makeup and I, that's why I love the drag queens. They were my role models. I said, I'm not going to pretend that I'm invisible because obviously I'm not. People are noticing me. So I said, if they're going to notice me, they might as well notice me for looking looking fantastic. So I was just makeup and high heels and, and you know, I'm, I'm on the catwalk in Milan. And that was my attitude. And not only did I find that empowering, but it was not meant to be deliberately abrasive, but it was clearly uh, an I am here and, you know, and you're going to have to make room because they ain't going nowhere, baby. That was my attitude. And and so I think a lot of people do that. It's a little harder to do that now. In those days, it you know, at least I didn't. I didn't have to worry that I might have somebody on some ideological crusade who saw me as some somebody so so dangerous that I was the bad guy. There was always a chance that people would break through and finally realize that here's somebody being treated just horribly who's just trying to live their life, you know. But in those days, there was also no civil rights, and so it was not uncommon to be simply ejected from common space. You'd be sitting in a restaurant, you'd suddenly be asked to leave, period. Mm -hmm. And that was horrible, you know? Hi, this is Emma Lugo. I'm the president of the board of KBU Community Radio. And I'm here today, I'm interrupting the show because I just would like to encourage you to make a donation to KBU. Um, I just want to say that KBU is in a great position right now financially. We've never had so much money, but we've also never had so many expenses. And as president of the board, I can tell you that it's always a constant source of anxiety for me, wondering how are we going to fund this precious community radio station of ours. And I think a lot of it comes from membership support and from community support. Um, KBOO's been doing a great job. Um, I think that we've had a lot of progress in the last year. We signed a collective bargaining agreement with the staff that uh, increased wages for the staff and gave them some more benefits and tried to um, raise the wages for what's traditionally been um uh, and underpaid staff and of course we could do better so we definitely want to do that and we've also increased our number of staff right now we're at um, 14 staff and we've got a great uh, we've got a great thing going on down at the station but we really need your support um, our expenses have increased and so if you want to show that you really support having um, uh, you know a workers who who are protected by a union and if you support those labor values that we all care so much about here at KBU, then please um, increase your support for our radio station because we really need it. And also, if you are someone who can give, if you've been thinking about putting KBU in your will or in your living trust, um, feel free to contact um, uh, contact us down at the station. Uh, you can speak with Nathan, the general manager. Uh, you can also send me a message. I'm the president of the board, and we'll be happy to talk to you about including KBU in your will or living trust, uh, much as the Marsh Foundation did last year. And uh, we just want to thank them very much for that. So anyways, if you want to give to KBU, please go to kboo.fm give 
Or you can also uh, send a check the old-fashioned way to KBOO at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. Thanks so much for your support of KBOO Community Radio. So um, another thing that was happening at this conference that it says it wasn't associated with the conference, but it says there was an art exhibit called A Nasty Piece of Work, The Art of Dissident Feminists. And it was advertised as featuring the art of who opposed the quest to construct or remake what it means to be a woman. This is a pretty common theme. I mean, I think that when you hear it expressed from people who are specific who like specifically label themselves as anti-trans activists um you know it's directly intended to be confrontational and it's directly meant to basically undermine all of the work of the trans community so i mean i totally understand the rage that people feel when they come in protest what i'm wondering is does this reflect i mean it's just my own personal belief basically based on traveling around the country and being around different kinds of spaces that this kind of reflects actually what most people really still think i mean i just i feel like those of us who have had the chance to either transition or to be involved as allies in supporting the trans community like we, we sort of got a jump on things and we were able to kind of start to hopefully extend the 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 the, the room in which lgbtq people are basically given rights and we're like trying to extend that cultural conversation but it's like there's nothing normative about being transgender. I mean, it's completely outside of what most people consider normal, according to the Western values that, like, we've, you know, so many people have been indoctrinated with in this country. And so I feel like, you know, I mean, it's great that we live in this world right now where people are being tolerant. And tolerance is a really good thing until people stop being tolerant. <clears throat> and as soon as they stop being tolerant, you really see how little progress we've actually made. I mean, we've made a lot of progress, but we haven't made that much progress. And I think that, you know, I, I'm not saying anything about these people. I think these people are great. I'm glad they're down there protesting. Um, I still think it's important to kind of take a real honest look at like where we are in our country right now with our rights because I think it's really clear that like the right wing really hates us you know they really hate us and they've done everything that they could to try to create social messaging which basically says that we're monsters and we're demons and we're all these things that they just keep on repeating tropes and it's like it seems like the culture as a whole has sort of shifted a little bit to saying well it's not okay for you to say that anymore you have to stop being mean and you can't say that but you might still think it, you know, basically everybody in your family still thinks that we don't know any trans people, so we can sort of put that out of our mind. But if we ever actually had to deal with that, you know, the truth will really come out. And I kind of feel like that's what's going on in a lot of the states that are more conservative. And you have to remember that in the states where there's a lot more conservatives and there's been, where there's been so much of an attack on trans rights, it's not that different in states like Oregon. I mean, in Oregon, there's more liberals, but like the 46% of Oregonians who are conservative and Republican, most of those people would love you know, to support these kind of people, like these anti-trans activists, they would love to get rid of, you know, any kind of rights that we have, including the right to go to the bathroom. And, you know, we really, it's, it's, it's a long road. I mean, our, our rights are, you know, included with the rights of so many other minorities, so many other minority groups. And the thing about our rights is that we're doing something that most people just don't have any understanding of. I mean, they just don't really understand what it means to be transgender. And they just, they just can't possibly imagine 
that kind of a world. It's not even because for them, mm. for most people, gender is the framework of their universe. I mean, their universe revolves around their gender. And it's it's one of it's like the most fundamental script there is, other than having babies, you know, which a lot of, you know, a lot of straight people and a lot of queer people too. It's like it's the most fundamental scripts, like your gender identity and your reproduction, and then maybe your religion. You know, those are like those are just the bedrocks of of how most people see themselves and how they see the world. It's it's like as real for most people as gravity, as you know, as as tangible as as almost mm. anything in their life, their gender identity. And so they just can't imagine somebody who says, Oh, I, you know, I'm not a man, I'm a woman. And, you know, I've been saying that my whole life. And here's all these other people. You told us that we're men, but we're not. We're women. And you told us that we're women, and we're not. We're men. Or we're non-binary. And people just have such a hard time with that. I mean, it seems like some people are just so, so offended by that. And they're so concerned. And they think that we're trying to brainwash their children. And the truth is, we're just trying to live our lives, you know, and we're just trying to have rights just like everybody else wants to have rights. And, you know, I, I guess my kids, I mean, I'm not trying to speak against these activists because I think these activists are amazing. And I think it's great that they're out there, you know, raising their issues. But we have to expect that every other side mm -hmm. that has a stake in this conversation is also going to raise their <laughs> issue. And so, like for me personally, the best strategy is what are we going to do that's going to make us the most allies? You know, I mean, we can all have rage and we can all be indignant because we have every right to be. I mean, everything that we've had to face our entire lives has been the culture telling us that we're not okay, that we're not good enough. And we have a right to have rage and to have anger. But I mean, every minority mm. group in, in all of human history has faced this problem. I mean, this has been going on since the beginning of time. And it's like, there are certain ways that seem to work in terms of advancing rights. And there's other ways that don't work so well. So when you're in a minority group and you only have the power of whatever you have with your organized minority group, then you have to like try to be strategic and you really have to think about how to, you know, kind of, um, I'm not sure what the word is, but it's like to kind of, you know, climb that ladder of rights and advocate for yourself. And it's not fair. Nobody should have to do this. We should all just be born with the rights that we should have. But we don't live in that kind of a world. We live in a world where for most of human history, our rights have been, you know, completely non-existent. And we're living in a very special time now where we just have a few rights and we're trying to get more. And unfortunately, this is what we're going to have to keep doing. And I feel like for me personally, using the principles of nonviolence and nonviolent direct action and, you know, really kind of being strategic and how we make our moves is really important. You know, I think that we have to move slowly and I think that we have to kind of do it one step at a time. And like, we have to be like, okay, we got a little progress here. Now let's see what else can we do. And then we also have to kind of shore up where we're getting, you know, getting it from behind, you know, because it's just, this is how it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be a few hundred years of this because that's just the reality of living in Western society. You know, what do you think? Um, well, I have some thoughts on, on what a, it's very hard to give, like I said, um, uniform transgender advice because it depends on the age that you're transitioning. It depends upon the social context in which you're doing it, whether it's at school or whether it's at, um, you know, in a job setting or whether it's just in your, you know, um, more intimate daily life. It's like, um, and so one thing I could say is probably good for all trans people is to recognize that <clears throat> being a woman in this society is not an easy thing. Um, there are class signifiers. There are occupational signifiers. 
Um, clothing plays a huge role in women's lives, um, much more so than we allot for the male spectrum of the, of people. And so in the drag world, um, a person has a drag mom. <clears throat> She's somebody who's been out there and knows how to, knows how to steer her daughters away from dangerous situations and to kind of whip her into shape. And because, <clears throat> excuse me, this women are trained to be women by their moms and their friends and their girlfriends. There's a lot of self-policing going on. To be a solitary trans person trying to merge into traffic <clears throat> is like going trying to drive if you've never been to driving school. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's imperative for us to be gentle with ourselves and to be aware that we're not often ready to take this little vehicle out on the highway yet. We better practice on some 25 mile an hour zones in the neighborhoods before we go full full tilt with this thing. And I think that would save a lot of transgender lives and certainly a lot of emotional hurt that we go through when we try to do something that we're just not prepped for yet. You have to learn that stuff. <clears throat> As time goes on, you get so you read facial language much more carefully. You you understand, you know, how if if things are getting out of control, how you can take the thing down a notch. As I say, I started out by just being I'm here and look out, baby, I'm coming through. Well, that's all very fine until you run into a brick wall. So it's a lot more sensible, I think, and no it, it reaching a, a different age now. I think I would have been much more selective in what I did and what I put myself through because I didn't know that. I just, if I thought I looked good, I, I'd just say I can look good in any context whatsoever. And in my book, I have a an essay called Night of the Zebra Lady, and it's the night in that I spent at walking into a straight, very upper-middle-class bar dressed in a... In a a zebra uh, skin tight um, uh, skin tight little outfit, and I just thought I looked as hot as could be. And uh, but and it worked. If anything, I thought my friends had left me in Seattle because they were like late showing up, and I didn't have any money, and there was no place to put anything in a skin tight zebra's jumpsuit. And so all of a sudden, I became the cause celeb of the, you know, of the of the place and some of the sweet waitresses were like leaving their stations to to sit there and hold my hand and comfort me because I was just a mess. I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get home? And it's just, uh, and afterwards I looked back and I said, what, who is that? You know, and I realized that I had gone kind of age regression that a lot of early trans people go through where all of a sudden I was dealing with pain that I'd felt as an adolescent and I, at the time I was 30 years old. So it's like it makes a big difference at what stage you're processing your own emotions. And and if I'd had somebody on hand, they would have said, okay, here's the thing. You're going into a challenging place. You got to be ready for it. You got to be looking at how the other women in this place are looking. Nobody else is running around in a little, in a little jumpsuit. Um, you know, you're going to have to ask yourself some big questions here. You learn from this experience, which I did. I learned a massive amount about myself that night. But <clears throat> it could have gone, there's other kinds of bars that I could have walked into. And instead of having people take my side and be sympathetic, I could have I could have been hurt, wounded, and really emotionally wounded. And we've got to be careful that we don't put ourselves in these dangerous situations. So, um, kind of following up on that theme, the very last story that I, well, actually, no, there's there's two other things I want. Bef- before I get to the last story of the evening, uh, there is some information I wanted to share. Um, someone who wrote to us um, in the community, and it's about a transgender woman who died this week in Portland. Um, so, someone named Samaya and let us know that a very beautiful person who was named Kira Haston, Kira Haston, lost her life. Um, and she was born Kevin Haston, and she was transitioning. Uh, apparently, she was driving in her truck in Clackamas County. 
and she was struck and killed by a drunk driver. And um, that person has been charged with, uh, I think, manslaughter, although I'm not sure. But anyways, I just uh, I asked if she wanted to come on the show and talk about Kira, and she said she didn't. But she wanted people to know that she didn't want Kira's memory to just go away quietly. Um, she said that she was loved and she'll be missed by uh, her family and by her co-workers. So again, that's Kira Haston. Uh, may she rest in peace, a trans woman who died this last week in Portland. Um, she was struck and killed by a drunk driver. So I just wanted to make sure to remember her today. So anyways, on to the very last story of the night. Um, the very last story is um, out of your own news. I don't know if you, I don't know if you read your own news, Sheila. Um, I'm, I'm somebody who I really love threading through the news and seeing what's going on. And I read all kinds of news outlets and I get a pretty good feel on whether something's liberal or conservative um, and whether it's really quality journalism or not. And this story by Euronews, like I wasn't sure Euronews, is, I've kind of seen it around a little bit. Um, originally when it was started, it was supposed to kind of be like the voice of the European Union. And I mean, I think it kind of has a mixed reputation. Uh, sometimes it's got really good stuff. Sometimes it's seen as it's not really that good of a news source. But anyways, they have a story here about a gynecologist. This is in France. A gynecologist who refused to see a transgender woman who had come in to get medical care and basically told her that a cavity is not a vagina. And he told that right to her. Uh, he said that to her on social media. And so then she went on social media and complained about that. So wh what I found kind of interesting about this story is that what's really going on right now is that the stuff that all transgender people have to go through, where we're basically like, I mean, if you're transgender, you have to change your body. I mean, you don't have to change your body, but if you want to, basically the problem here is that there's these different cultural signifiers of what it means to be transgender. So you were talking earlier, Sheila, about how so many women have to deal with issues around like clothing. That's a big issue for women. So for trans women, it's not just issues around clothing. It's literally issues around body parts. Like it's about our bodies too. It's not just about what we wear because as a transgender person, you want to inhabit cultural signifiers that both reinforce your own gender identity, but also like kind of assure other people that you're really transgender. And so for the longest time, you know, like the test was whether or not you had bottom surgery. Like as a trans woman, that was considered the big signifier. And now we're reaching a point where, you know, in the press, they're obviously going after everything that has to do with the medical aspect of being transgender. And they're trying to take narratives that <clears throat> transgender people have had to work with for a long time, and they're trying to hold them up in the popular media for analysts and scrutiny. So it's kind of like taking a second look, and they're trying to like persuade and use public opinion to say that, you know, this isn't really, this isn't this isn't uh, this isn't affirming, and this isn't really uh, true. So, like, a trans woman isn't really a woman, and here's just another example of how she's not really a woman. So they're basically taking our bodies, and they're doing the same thing with our bodies that are they already do with us when we wear clothing. And, or even just when we speak, you know, like if you just speak and say you're transgender, that's automatically critiqued, attacked, dissected, scrutinized. I mean, they're already looking inside of our heads to try to figure out every way they can to tell us that we're not transgender. And they try to do that with every other aspect of our identity. And this is just an example of something that I think used to be really kind of settled like within the broader, there there used to be kind of a broader cultural agreement that like, you know, if you had bottom surgery, that was like, that was kind of like the thing. 
And now, you know, the medical institutions, there's medical professionals who are, you know, basically openly attacking this in order to, you know, like kind of engage in this conversation where they're saying, this isn't true, you're fake. And I'm going to tell you you're fake to the international press so that everybody knows. And I'm going to give your body part a name that's really disrespectful because I don't affirm you in any way. Hi, this is Emma Lugo, the president of the board of KBOO Community Radio. We're just interrupting the show for just a minute because I just want to tell you, I mean, as as I've served for one year on the board, I mean, I've, I've served for one year as president, and I just think KBOO is this amazing station. We have hired a new uh, station manager, Nathan Van Diver, who's been really putting together the station in a great way. It's been several years since we've had a regular uh, just a regular station manager and all of our other managers have been great too but it's really nice to have someone who's just dedicated to that job and so you know right now KBOO is in a process of uh, kind of rebuilding and regrowing and we have um, we've never been in such a great financial position but we also have really seriously increased our costs because we want to pay um, our employees a living wage and make sure that they get really good benefits and that all costs money and so um, if you love KBU, if you support KBU, if you care about KBU, then uh, during our fall drive if you could please give um, your support just makes such a difference and if you haven't thought of about putting KBU in your will or in your living trust, um, please let us know. You can reach out to the station manager. Feel free to reach out to me uh, down at the station, uh, but mostly talk to the station manager and let them know if you'd like to put KBU in your will or living trust. Um, again, we do take donations. It's That's our the base of our membership support. Um, just go to kboo.fm slash give. Or you can also uh, donate on the mobile app or text us at 44321, text KBOO to 44321. And you can also send us a check at uh, KBOO at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. Thanks so much for your support of KBOO Community Radio. Well, so you've been listening to Transpositive tonight with uh, Emma and Sheila. Sheila, do you have any last thoughts? Kind of a summary of what we've done. Um, <clears throat> what we've what we've noticed once again is that being trans at this particular time in this particular place in this public arena right now is challenging in ways that it hasn't been historically for trans people because we're much more front and center, but we're also being hit by accusations and assumptions about us that we've never had to deal with before. And so that's a, it's a double-edged sword. I don't think we can get back to where we were. I think we're going to have to make it through this thing. But I think it's real important for trans people to be very self-protective. I always hit that because we have enough sorrows in our lives already. We want to be careful to be physically safe, mentally safe, and emotionally safe. And the more we can do that for each other and be and think out, think about our steps before we put ourselves in situations that we're not ready to handle. And then that's the best thing that we can do. Well, thanks so much for joining us tonight. And Sheila, thank you uh, for your contributions to the show. Um, I hope you all have You're a great welcome. evening. Uh, and we'll see you in two weeks. Transgender people don't live here. I've never met anyone who's transgender. I swear I don't know someone who's transgender. Transgender and non-binary people like me hear this all the time. But according to the HRC Foundation, there are more than two million transgender people in the United States. We live in every community across this country. You might be surprised to hear that there are more transgender and non-binary people in the United States than there are. Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart locations combined. In fact, if you put us all together, there'd be more non-binary and transgender folks than the populations of DC, or Nebraska, or Maine, 
or Idaho, or West Virginia. As a matter of fact, 15 states have a lower population than the amount of trans folks in the U.S. So here are a few things to keep in mind. You don't always know when a person is trans. But we're your neighbors, your co-workers, your students, your customers, and even your friends and family. We exist in every culture, todas las culturas, throughout human history. And while we're more visible than ever before, sometimes you just don't see us. So when you hear about politicians pushing forward discriminatory bills, know this, these bills you are, are listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. On the next Voices for the Animals show, we're going to do a follow-up to our coverage of the ongoing problems at our own Multnomah County Animal Shelter. We will talk with more volunteers about what's being done and not being done since the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners promised a full investigation and improvements. Honestly, why can't they just start to get things done? But somehow they can't. Somehow there is always a need for another review, always a need for another policy, always a need for another consultant. Just get things done. Because pets in Portland deserve better. We are keeping the spotlight on the Multnomah County Animal Shelter on the next Voices for the Animals. 